tremendous. Amen. Oh, when I'm in need, I call on the Lord. Oh, when He hears me, yes, He helps me. Oh, came down from his glory. 
we'll just go to prayer at this time in this atmosphere. Brother Emmanuel Gindo, could I have you open up the service in a word of prayer? We just have a prayer request for our uh, sister Norm Wood, Brother Louise, uh, our sister Louise, sorry, Brother Norm writes, please pray for our sister Louise who is sick at home, very sick, uh, very sick this morning. Also remember our brother Biskel this morning and, and at this time, amen, Brother, brother Norm. Precious Heavenly Father, once again we come in your presence, knowing, O oh God, whenever we come in your presence, there is something good that happens because you are here, O oh God. We worship you. We lift up your holy name. We glorify you, King of Kings, our Heavenly Father. We thank you this morning, Lord Jesus Christ, for inviting us at this feet, O oh God. We pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that your presence will just bring us, O oh God, in a higher dimension where we never experience, O oh God, where everything is possible, Lord Jesus. Our faith will rise up, Lord Jesus Christ, to catch, Lord Jesus Christ, what you have prepared for us this morning. We do love you from the bottom of our hearts. We just want to be closer to you. We want, Lord Jesus Christ, that your spirit will energize us, O oh God. Take away every sin, Lord God, everything that so easily beset us. Let us rise, Lord Jesus Christ, in your presence, O oh God where everything is possible to, to us, Lord Jesus. We thank you this morning. We pray, O oh God, that you're present here with us, Father. May your healing virtue just flow, O oh God, and heal our sister, Louise, Father. As we commit her in your hands, we know, O oh God, that by faith she's been here. By your stripes she's been healed, O oh God. We believe it, we confess it, and we'll see it come to pass, Lord Jesus. We stand in your word, O oh God. You're not a man to back down before, you, before your word, but you're always there to stand behind your word, oh God, to bring it come to pass, Lord Jesus. Our precious brother, pastor, uh, Biscoll, oh God, we commit also in your hands. We know, Lord Jesus, your servant has labor. Even here, all of us here present, oh God, is because you use him to bless us. Now he's in need, oh Father. We'll come all together, raise him up in your presence. We pray, oh Father God, that you just take him in your mighty hands, oh God, and you just strengthen his body and give him everything that he has need of, oh God. Strengthen him, we pray, commit him in your hand, and believe in Lord Jesus Christ that you are faithful to them that believe you and trust you, Father. We bless him in your name, Jesus. We commit now this service in your hands, everything that you will be said and done. Your servant, Brother Aaron McGarry, we commit him in your hands. He is a man, but you raise him up, Father, to use him as your, an oracle of God. Take him, Lord Jesus Christ. Anoint him, O oh Father. Give him inspiration. O oh God, the anointing of God may come through him, and may you bless us by, the, by your word that's going to proceed out of his mouth, O oh God. May not be a man speak, O oh God. May you speak, Lord Jesus. Because you said in your word that you're going to have your fivefold ministry in your hands and you're going to deliver your word. And that's the power of your word that's going to set us free, Lord God. May your word come forth now, Father, as we commit this service in your mighty hand. Even the offering, O oh God, and our tithes we bring to you as a way of worshiping you, Lord Jesus. May you take it, may you multiply it, may you use it for your glory. 
and everything be committed in your hand now. This service, our hearts, everything we are, for your glory and honor. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray and thank you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Emmanuel. You may have your seats this morning. I'd like to welcome those who are visiting with us, those on the internet hookup, and those who will stream. We just have a quick announcement here. Next week, there is no Sunday school class, but the children need to be here at 10 for their singing to practice. Amen. We have a few specials and baby dedication this morning, so let's go to the baby dedication. Those who are singing, Sister Brielle and Sister Lily Rose, if you're ready right after the baby dedication, that would be wonderful. Can we sing, Jesus Loves Me? This I know as we turn it over to Brother Tom. Jesus loves me, this I Well, this morning we have the pleasure of dedicating uh, a little darling. Life has been given by God to Sister Sammy, Brother Nathan Weimer, and she's just a darling. And I told Nathan right away, he never got the looks from him. (laughs) Uh, That's not a joke. (laughs) No, I'm only kidding. It's nice to be able to re- uh, receive a gift from God and then in what we believe is to give back this gift to God. Anaya, Grace, Weimer, is that correct? Anaya. Anaya. So I checked this out now because me and, and names are just uh, challenging. And uh, Anaya. I said Anaya to myself, but then Google told me Anaya. But we'll take Anaya, Grace, Weimer. As I was saying just a moment ago, all life comes from God. And God has has blessed this couple with this darling little girl. And may she quieten down real quickly. The Bible says this, that even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us 
together with Christ. So by grace, you're saved. I'm making reference to this because we're going to go to the name. Anaya, grace. Paul goes on to say in, in Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is indeed the gift of God. So Anaya, Anaya grace, as we take a look at the name, is God's answer. She's been God's answer. And grace, of course, means God's favor or goodness. So I was pondering on that, on this being God's answer. She's God's answer. There will be many times in life somebody's going to ask a question. And the question might be indeed, what is the answer to life? And may she come up, grow up under the sound of the gospel and be able to say, Jesus Christ is the answer to life. For he that hath the Son hath life. And this little darling, may she raise up, grow up if God gives us time. Not only is her name indicative to God's answer, but may she be able to give the answer to God's life. Grace. Well, that is a tremendous name. That's a name I love so much. Grace is gracious. Grace is goodness. Grace is beauty. Grace is charm. Brother Bram said, so therefore it wasn't my righteousness, my family's goodness. So we're not looking at families. We're not looking at, 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 at somebody else's righteousness. But we're looking at the righteousness of God and his goodness. It was the grace of God that brought the gift down to the people. And I want to say to you this morning, it was the grace of God that gave you this gift for this family. To have big brothers and a big sister. To watch over this little sweetheart. Brother Bram goes all also to say, and that's the way Jesus Christ is. He keeps us. We don't keep him. He keeps us. It's not whether I can hold on or whether or not it's my ability to do something. He said, it's whether he holds on. And that's the main thing. It's what he's done. And may Anaya know this is God's grace to her, what God will do for her. And may it be at a young age, Brother Nathan, Sister Sammy. May God give you wisdom, guidance, fortitude, strength that comes from above to guide this little child, this little baby, this little gift of God in the days that lay ahead. Always put, as I, I always see in the scriptures, it's the parents that lay up for the children. And may you lay, lay up not only just financially, but may you lay up spiritually that she can see Christ not only in your lives, but in the home. And that you young men that have grown up so fine, may you also be a reflection, Kaya. May you also reflect the glory of God's grace. So we're going to dedicate now this morning this little bundle of life, a gift from God.
Heavenly Father, this morning we stand in the august presence of Almighty God. Lord, all life, as your prophet said, comes from God above. Would your blessing rest upon this little darling this morning? As we dedicate Anaya Grace to you, may God your hand rest upon her. May she know you and become aware of the grace of God in her young years, Lord. Bless her, watch over her, and Lord, would you, in your love, put a wall of fire around her as she grows up in the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. It's okay. <laughs> Help. Amen. You have a special? All right. As they come for the special, can we sing, It's in Jesus, all in Jesus? S said I found a love. Said I found a love. group that sang at the grad yesterday will be singing right after them.
As the group comes up, I wonder if you can sing, I have a maker. I have a
thank everyone who uh, supported our grad uh, last night and the night before. And unfortunately, a few of the grads couldn't make it this morning, but uh, we just hope you are blessed by this song.
That was wonderful. That was wonderful. We had a wonderful evening last night celebrating the grads, and we had a nice um, ceremonial service or ceremony service of awards the night before. I want to say to the grads, and I want to say to this assembly, and I want to say to the elders of this church, this is a product of your sacrifice and giving. That's what you see that is standing behind here. So I want to give God the glory for what God has produced in our grads. We've got a number of announcements, and I'll, I, I, I will have the privilege and honor of introducing Brother Aaron McGeary to the pulpit. But before I do that, there's a couple of things that I would like to uh, say. And uh, first of all, Andrew, where's Andrew? Could you please stand? Where's Bella? Is she here? Is she hiding? You got to stand. Well, they apparently are leaving us. But may they have the anointing of Wes and Diane Nygaard. <laughs> We're, we love you, Andrew. You're a son of the gospel of this church. Bella, you have only brought out the best in this young man. We love you dearly and trust that God will lead you in the days that are ahead. I know you'll be a blessing to the church in, in Louisville. And Brother Brad, Brad Burgess is his gain, and it's our loss. Andrew has grown up within this assembly. I know the good and the bad and the ugly. <laughs> but now it's all good. And we love you, Andrew, and want God's best for you in whatever lays ahead. And uh, don't ever let the devil tell you that you burn bridges. You know, that's, that's the thing that goes in people's mind. Once you leave, there's a bridge burn. It's never. I'll rebuild it. Because as we've been, uh, know the scripture, when the Levites were, were used of God for the city of refuge, they had to repair the bridge and make sure the road was safe to one. And so we will do that for the both of you. And we thank God for your lives. And may God use you on, on June the 24th at 3 o'clock. They're having a little goodbye at the, um, where's it at? Peace Arts Park. And uh, so all that can make it, I'm sure you want to give them their, their, your blessing to them. And we want God's blessing on your life. And that's at 3 o'clock, June 24th. God bless you both. We love you. Amen. As Brother Anthony has mentioned, it's Father's Day, and uh, there's one man missing. Brother Ed, he's at home. I'm sure watching. He's been a father, a father of the faith, father of this church, been a father to me and to many most, if not all of you. And if Brother Ed, I know you, Sister Ruth will be watching, we want to show our gratitude to a man of God that's poured out his life. God bless Brother Bisco on Father's Day.
to you, fathers, you who have been high priests of your home, breadwinners, example, burden bearers, with the weight of leadership for your home and for your children, and you that have supported this church, supported the ministry here. I applaud you this morning for your faithfulness, for your stance in Christ, for your unwavering faith, pillars of a church of the living God. God bless you this day on Father's Day. Fathers built a, a school in love, a vision of a man of God called our pastor, Brother Biskel, and that, that school has benefited our children and those that don't even attend here, but they want the blessing of it, but they want to be identified with it, but I'm, I'm thankful that the gospel goes out to each and every one. An end of a school year, an end of a graduation class, another one. We're proud of our young ladies and our young men that go through that school. We have teachers and support staff that have given much of their lives and their time for our children. And they have sacrificed. Some have given up a year or two to let that school be built. And it has been a product of your love gift of yourself and prayer and giving that has made our school possible when this world is going to going well you know where it's going and you see what the schools are producing nothing but as the prophet said a next generation of devils and I want to give my my thanks to the principal to the teachers to the mothers that have given much of their time for another marvelous year God bless you all Amen. If I had a young baby right in my arms right now, the only thought I'd have is give me a Holy Ghost school where Holy Ghost teachers are raising up their children. If you want to give your children to the devil, you go right at it. But I know, as Brother Biscoe said years ago, he said, the Israel never gave their children to the Philistines to raise them. You can think on that one for a while. And that's the last I will say regarding our school. I can't give enough accolades to all the, those that have labored and given of their life and love. Well, today we have the privilege and honor of having a precious friend of mine who I have had the privilege to watch grow up and to be the man of God that he is. I was going back in my mind and, and I was thinking, when did I first meet Brother Aaron McGarry? Well, he was a song leader at Louisiana camp. And I think we're still trying to figure out how old you were. But he was a vibrant song leader then and he's just as vibrant now. And I, I fell in love with him as in his life for Christ and what God did and delivered him. Brother Aaron McGarry addressed our class of 2023, and the theme was the, the art of the journey, and I loved how Brother Aaron, God put it on his heart to speak on the heart of the journey. I thought that was a tremendous 
thought and how he brought it out was wonderful. And those, I, I don't know if it was recorded. Was it recorded, Mike? I, I, I trust it was. It would be a blessing to you all. To me, it was perfect and it was outstanding. I have a deep personal love for both Brother Aaron and his dear wife, Sister Elizabeth, that's sitting in the back there, the better half, shall we say, but she's an amazing force. So God bless you, Sister Elizabeth. Nice to have you here. You've left your, your family at home to celebrate with our grads. We want to thank you very much. God bless you. I've known Brother Aaron for many, many years. I've seen and had the privilege to see the children grow up from Elliot to Preston, Liza, Jack. It's, it's a marvelous one. testimony. Brother Aaron was instrumental. You know, when you have a, a son that's, that's just having challenges, he was down seeing Brother Zach Nygaard. And Joel was footloose and fancy free. But they ended up at a house, little youth, camp, youth meeting at a house, Brother Aaron, you took. Started something within his heart. I'll never forget that. Never. If you look on our internet, and you go just to the 2004. Brother Aaron has spoken 33 times in this church. And to that, I want to thank you, Brother Aaron. 33 times. And you say, well, Brother Aaron, why, why, why would I feel felt on my heart to have Brother Aaron McGarry speak at our graduation? I know what his impact of his ministry and life has been on our church. And when you think of inviting someone 33 times, just from 2004, there, you have to give credit to the God of his salvation that has made him what he is. Thank you, Brother Aaron, for accepting our invitation. Now, Brother Aaron has passed, is now pastor of his own church in Phoenix, Arizona. I believe it's called Arizona Believer Church, Believer's Church, and pastoring a lovely group. And now the weight of the ox, ox and burden, is now on his shoulder. And I, I deem it an honor to be a part of your life and your ministry. May God bless you as you bless our people. We welcome you to the pulpit in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that ended too quickly. I thought you could just keep going. God bless you. Can we stand together? Thank you, Brother Tom. I appreciate that very much. Uh, we, f we feel a part of you in a very deep way. Uh, we have a deep and genuine love for each one of you and for this church. 
and for especially uh, Brother Ed and Sister Ruth, and I believe in just all the opportunities we've had to come here and, and minister. It's always enriched our lives. It's been a tremendous blessing to us, and it's been four years since we've been here, and so 33 times in 20 years, and then none in the last, uh, you know, so many, none in the last four years. So it's good to be back. It's good to be here with you today. We love you very, very much, and uh, we consider consider you part of our family. We consider you friends, and just so happy uh, to be back with you today. And maybe there's a lot we could say in the prelims, but I just look forward to another opportunity where we have more time together and we could say some more. But if you could just take your Bibles, I'd like to read in Genesis chapter 21. We bring greetings to you from our church in Phoenix, Arizona, Arizona Believers Church. Uh, God called us uh, to Phoenix to start a church in 2020, and I can say that he's been very, very gracious to us. And there's been many that ask questions. They want to know, what happened? How'd you go there? And uh, some people even say, why Phoenix? And my answer is always the same. It's the Lord. The Lord chose it. The Lord sent us, and we're just obeying the Lord and going. Genesis chapter 21 I apologize if my comments uh, aren't very personal. I just feel very anxious to get into the Word, and I know that's the only reason why I've preached here 33 times is because of the Word. It's not my personality. Um, it's the Word, so we'll just get into the Word. Genesis 21, verse 33 to 34. But Brother Tom, thank you, though, for those words. I love you very, very much. It's been inspiration to me. Uh, your, your steadfastness, um, your energy, your enthusiasm. We love you very, very much, and he's been, he's been like a father to me. And so I joked around that the reason why he had me this weekend is so he could have all four of his sons together on Father's Day. <laughs> Genesis chapter 21, verse 33 and 34. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. I'd like to take from that where it says, and Abraham planted a grove. I had thought about perhaps naming the sermon uh, after that, and Abraham planted a grove, but I'd like to title it, A Grove Was Planted in Cloverdale. If we could bow our heads in a word of prayer. A gracious Heavenly Father, as we have this opportunity to be together today, uh, we do not take it lightly, although maybe in our actions and our attitude, we're not quite as conscious and sensitive as we should be to the magnitude of these moments. But Lord, we are grateful and we offer this thanksgiving for all the parts that were played this morning to make this service possible, for each gift that was manifested, for each burden uh, that was born. Lord, we look out upon a congregation of this size and we enjoy the worship and just all the different functions that go on behind the scene. We know that it's not done unless there's those who sacrifice and give and labor, not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of others and to give you glory. So we thank you for that. Lord, as we have this privilege this evening, of being, this afternoon, this morning of being together, we just surrender ourselves to you. We just ask that you'd come in a very special way and speak to us through your word as you have done many, 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 many times before. And Lord, if it has just been going through the motions today, if it has just been by tradition that we found ourselves here by habit, Lord, may we just shake ourselves in this moment and say, no, Lord, you, you're here. You desire to speak to me. You, this, this is not just an ordinary service. This is the supernatural that you provide to us in these moments, in this place. 
So Lord, come speak to us, I pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And you can be seated. I haven't been out and preached very much since we started the church, I guess in some ways you could say because of the the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of travel for a little bit. It was during the pandemic that the Lord uh, called us to start a church in Phoenix. So um, it's been a long time since I've, I don't really travel out and preach very much. So if anything seems off today, let's just consider it rust. Uh, I'm not used to having to move this much uh, or look this high, high to preach. And Brother Joel, this would be your opportunity to look into the balcony if you want. But um, just uh, bear with me today as we get used to uh, preaching outside of our home church the title may seem to be a little bit unique to you. It says a grove. The title is A Grove Was Planted in Cloverdale. And I took this subject, and it was very heavy upon my heart, to encourage you in the vision of Cloverdale Bible Way. And in some ways, just remind us of what the purpose of the local church is. And I would say, if you could, uh, please just try as much as you possibly can just to follow me very, very closely. Uh, We'll be moving through a lot of different pieces, a lot of different details just from these scriptures that Abraham planted to grove. I had a pastor tell me one time, he he said he watched a video one time, and I think it was of a struggle in Kruger National Park between a crocodile and a buffalo. And he said it was a very lengthy struggle, and it was very tense. Uh, and the, any moment in this wrestling back and forth, he realized it was a struggle for life or death. And if any one of the, either one of the animals relented and let up at any given moment, he said that it would result in death. And, and he said, that's what it's like listening to you preach. <laughs> Still trying to figure out if it was a compliment. Um, so maybe you can help me, but I think he kind of just said, you feel like you've got to hold on to every word, and if you let up for just a moment, if you just relax for just a moment, you're going to miss the whole thing, and you will. <laughs> so you better concentrate this morning and stay very, very focused. But in taking this subject, I had a very, very strong burden given the nature of the invitation as Brother Tom called and asked us to come and minister, and he kind of gave it some color and gave it some context uh, in his heart as to why he was asking us to come And there was a lot just shared about the history of the church um, and what the burden and vision that he had in having us to come. And so the Lord just directed us to this scripture in Genesis 21, 33, where it says, and Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba. We know that Abraham is synonymous with fatherhood. Uh, I don't believe it's a coincidence that God put this on my heart on Father's Day. Uh, Jesus calls him Father Abraham. It's Paul in Romans 4 that says he's the father of us all. We call him the father of our faith. And if you look at the life of Abraham, it's very extraordinary. God chose that man, and he really uh, uses Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 to kind of set up, uh, give us context um, for even Abraham's life, because it's all leading to Genesis 11 when he calls Abraham. And then the rest of the Old Testament is the story of one man and his seed, and it's that man Abraham. And his life typed God's mystery of redemption. So there's such, such rich things in his life and his journey and the path that he went. He's, he's telling a story. He's uh, foreshadowing things. He's given us types. And in Abraham, as God called him to be a father and used him as a father of our faith, he's even the father of three major religions of billions of people who claim that he is the father of their faith. 
He revealed the mystery of God as a father. This is a mystery of the Old Testament. God was not thought of as, as being a father in the Old Testament. Uh, he may have been used, maybe it referred to in certain ways as a father, but no one, no one in the Old Testament and the writers ever looked to him as being a literal father. But he is, uh, his life, the life of our father Abraham, revealed to us that the God of thy fathers would become God your father. That it's, uh, as it would say, the God of our fathers, the God of our fathers, it was, there's, a, there's this distance, there was this separation that was there. But he reveals that the God of our fathers is a personal God, he is our father. As Jesus says in Matthew 29, 23, 9, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. In the Gospels, 21 times Jesus refers to God as your father. And it's the son that reveals the mystery of fatherhood. It's what made the Jews so angry. He says, you calling yourself the son of God, make yourself equal with God, because that's what fatherhood would entail, that it's his own life, it's his own progeny, it's his own seed. And even the name Abram means exalted father from Ab, which is head or founder or father and room, which is to rise up or be exalted. As he's called Abraham, he's to be a father of a great numerous multitude. And I think it's good to catch this when God says that changes his name to Abraham and he's going to be a father of a great multitude. He's actually attaching him to the covenant of Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter one, verse 28, where it says, be fruitful. And when God calls Abraham, he says, I will make thee exceeding fruitful. He said, I will make a covenant, my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. Adam, under the original covenant in Genesis 1, 28, was told to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. It means to become numerous, to become great. And so when God changed his name, he was changing his name to connect him with that commandment that had not yet been fulfilled, that I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and you are to multiply Brother Branham in the sermon identified masterpiece of God. He's speaking about how that when God wanted to begin redemption, he started in one man, Abraham. So Abraham was the beginning of redemption. He was the beginning and the first reflection of God's unconditional covenant. And it, just to give a little bit of a context to Abraham's life, Genesis chapter 3 ends with one man and one woman driven from Eden into Babylon with the wife carrying two seeds inside of her, pregnant with two sons. And as God brings the story to Genesis 11, to Genesis 12, Abraham's story begins with one man, one woman, called out of Babylon, unaware that God had ordained them to a seed, though they were barren. And it says, Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba. He's a a father figure, he's a founder, he's one that began something. And as Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba, I want to use that as a type of a grove planted in Cloverdale. If you could look at verse 33 with me, and I'll probably just read this verse over and over again. I was uh, just, it's so chilly uh, in this room, and it was so cold and Canada right now. I thought I, would, I thought I'd flew into Grand Prairie for a service. <laughs> I think the coldest summer winter I ever spent was a summer in Grand Prairie. <laughs> but in Genesis 21 verse 33, it says, and Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. This grove would have began with a single tree. 
And this grove holds many significant types. It represents many different things. And I want to use it as a type of a local church, use it as a type of this local church, use it as a type of Cloverdale Bible Way. It says Abraham planted. That word is the, means the act of fixing or establishing something. So when Abraham planted, he wasn't just a green thumb and he wanted to have a tree, but he's establishing something. And if we could just uh, focus in on this aspect, this is going to be very critical in going forward, that Abraham was very deliberate when he planted this grove, that it was uh, an unselfish act to plant this tree. It was something very forward-looking. So he wasn't just doing it for the moment. He wasn't doing it uh, just ornamental so that it could look pretty in the time that he was living, in that time he was living in. But Abraham is establishing something, and so he's doing it as a father who has a vision. He's doing it as a father who would have a burden. It takes time for a tree to grow, and a tree is planted for future shade. It's planted for future fruit and protection and enjoyment. When you plant a tree, you're not going to get all the benefits from that tree in the moment that you plant it. It says Abraham planted a grove. The Hebrew word is a shell. This word's found two other times in this scripture as a tree. In a lot of different translations, it says Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. This tamarisk tree is a great symbol. It's, a, its roots go very, very deep down to the water stores. And as the roots go down deep, it grows equally as high as the roots grow deep in order to provide shade. It's hardwood produces beams that are suitable for carpentry and for construction. And you could take from that tree logs and build dwelling places and, and, and build things with it. And so that's what he plants. He plants a tamarisk tree. It been, begins with one tree. When he plants this grove. And in verse 34, this is just some backgrounding and some foundation. Which one do you feel like, the crocodile or the buffalo right now? <laughs> it says, And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. Sojourned there means he took his abode. I think as I would read the scripture growing up, and I think this, I would think of sojourn, it would give me the idea of traveling and journey, a journey, but to sojourn means that he actually dwelled. He inhabited, and the word means to seek hospitality with. So this grove that he planted, it was a place that he worshiped God in and the presence of the Philistines. When he planted the grove, he's going to remain here for a while. He sojourned in Philistines many days. So it was in their presence that he built this grove. And I'm going to abide here. I'm going to tarry. This is going to be a more permanent dwelling. Maybe not an eternal dwelling. Maybe not a place with foundations. But I'm going to plant this grove. And here I'm going to remain for a while in the presence of the Philistines. And maybe the phrase grove to you might sound a little strange. Uh, because we most often associate groves with idolatry. But this is not a grove to a false god. Uh, grove, when it's used in reference to idolatry, is a, it's translated from the word Asherah, a Babylonian goddess. So what the grove he plants here is different than the groves that are prohibited in Scripture. The, script, the idols, uh, it was prohibition of idol worship. It says, do not plant a grove near the altar of the Lord. And that word speaks of Asherah and in Babylonian worship and a Babylonian goddess. So the grove that is spoken of here is a, a place to worship the one true God. And Abraham's tree represented a gathering place for fellowship and for communion. It was a garden of hospitality. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. God planted trees in his paradise. 
And he did it not for just himself, but he did it for his family. He did it to provide meat and for refreshment and for nourishment. It was in that garden that God would come down in the cool of the evening, provided by that shade and that, that warmth and that feeling that would be provided by those plants. And he would come down into that garden and fellowship with his creation. And so by planting a grove, Abraham was creating a paradise. It was a garden, a pleasure ground. It was, it was something to, uh, to grow into, into a beauty. And in doing so, he's acting in God's image. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. In the Persian of paradise, as a king's garden. This was God's planting. This was God's garden. It says he planted a garden eastward in Eden. And this was God's Eden. And when Abraham plants, he's acting in the image of God. He's doing something that God had done. And when God planted his Eden, it was his right and power to establish this garden. God planted it as a garden of stewardship. It was a garden of ownership. This is my Eden. This is my creation. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, it says, Noah began to be a husbandman. We know that God is a husbandman. It says, and he planted a vineyard. Noah was the owner of the earth. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, he was to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. So when Noah plants, he plants in the image of God. He's being the owner of the earth. And I'm going to plant a vineyard. He's acting in the image of God. Some Jewish writers even believe that Noah found a vine that had been brought out of Eden through the flood, and that's what he used to plant his garden. And so Abraham's planting is in the same likeness of Noah's. It's under a covenant. It's under a promise. In planting, he's planting in the likeness of Noah. In the days of Noah, he planted a vineyard. In the days of Lot, in the days of Abraham, he plants a garden. And Abraham's planting of a garden in the land of the Philistines was not only an act of ownership, but it was an act of stewardship. God had given him that land, and even though Abraham never possessed those borders in his time and in his life, by planting that grove, it was an act of ownership. It was an act of stewardship of the land that God had promised to him. In Genesis 15, verse 18, it says, In the day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. From the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. God describes a land that's encompassed by Eden in Genesis chapter 2. Same land that he describes for Abraham. He had described as Eden in the beginning. And God is revealing to Abraham that he's granting him a portion of that Eden that had been lost. That somehow in calling Abraham, it's connected to the garden of Eden that man had been banished from. And God is revealing this to him, that I'm going to give you this, this land in hopes that it will be redeemed. I'm going to give you this place, connecting you back to the beginning. And Abraham's act of planting a grove then relates to redemption. God's promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, was of a seed. It's going to be the seed of a woman, which we know the seed is Abraham's seed, Christ. And so by planting this grove in the presence of the Philistines, by God giving him this land that is bordered there from the great river, the river Euphrates, he's signifying redemption. And Abraham, meaning father of a multitude, this is an act of a father with a vision of more than just himself, but many more to come. He was told that nations would come from him. So it wasn't a tree to himself. And if I'm... uh, not making direct application to the grove that was planted in Cloverdale. Trust that you can be doing that as we continue. But it wasn't a tree for himself. This was a tree for future generations. This was a tree for his seed. This was a family tree. 
This was a tree for those that would come after him. It was an act of revelation that looked back to the Garden of Eden and looked forward to Christ. It's a tree that not only pointed to the tree of life in Eden, but the tree of life, which is Jesus Christ, and the tree of life, which will be in our future home. And in Genesis chapter 21, if you just want to maybe look there, we'll identify a few few verses. This grove is significant considering the events that had just transpired in Abraham's life. And in identifying this, I believe it helps us kind of focus even what our vision would be as a church, a local church, what the vision is of even this assembly. But Genesis chapter 1 begins with Jehovah visiting Sarah, as he had promised to do, and her bringing forth the promised son. We read that in the first few verses. And so Isaac has been born. He has been brought forth. The, 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 the son that had been promised, not just of Abraham, but of Sarah, has been uh, come. And, the, and there's laughter in the, in the family. And, and this joy has come. And in verse 8, it says, The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. So notice that this tree was planted only after Isaac was born, after he was weaned. And as you continue to read, after the bondwoman was cast out, with her son. So Abraham plants this grove beginning with the singular tree after his seed had come forth, after the son had been born. Why? Because this tree not only points back to the, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, but it points forward to Christ who is the tree of life. The Bible says about Christ that there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This is a depiction of Christ. And it's even where we get our idea of a family tree. They take it from this very scripture where there's this depiction, this symbol of a lineage is a, a root and a branch growing out of, a, out, out, out of the, the bowels of a man. And here goes his family forth. And from that vine and from that branch comes sons and comes family. Christ is that rod. Christ is that branch. It says in Zechariah that there would be a man whose name is the branch. And he shall grow up out of his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah said it's going to be a righteous branch. Isaiah says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Christ is the tree. Christ is our family tree. And we... It's, it's important to recognize that though we feel very part of a local church and we identify ourselves with our uh, local assemblies and our local pastor, we are all part of this one tree. It's a tree with one root system. It's a tree that's genetically, trees that are genetically identical. The Bible likens us to trees. We are a family of trees. We're planted in Christ, rooted and grounded in love. It's Israel that's described, I believe it's by Balaam, describes Israel as trees of ling aloes. So we're, we're, we're represented as trees and trees of righteousness. And Utah, there is a, a forest, it's called the Pando. It covers 107 acres with 47,000 genetically identical trees called the world's largest living organism. And they're quaking aspens from a single root system. It says, above ground, Pando appears to be a grove of individual trees like any other grove. 
It was overlooked for years, but underground, everything is connected by a single and vast root system. It is one tree, a one tree forest. And that's what we're a part of in the body of Christ. You may feel maybe isolated in the great Northwest and far from a lot of other churches. And I know we identify ourselves so much maybe with the local assembly, but every member in a local church is part of that one tree forest, part of that genetically identical one a living organism, the single vast root system, that's the tree that we're all part of, is we're part of something even greater than just the local church, part of something living and breathing that's alive. And that's what's represented in the grove that Abraham planted in Beersheba. And in looking at this and identifying Christ, I, there's just so much that could be said in referring to Christ as a record or the, the image of that tree and what it represents. It should remind us that the grove was not the dest a destination. The grove is not the ultimate, but it points to and serves the ultimate purpose. As we continue this morning, and uh, based upon my prayer under the afternoon and into the evening, uh, we'll, we'll see and identify that Abraham wasn't creating a place where everyone would just stop, but it was something that would serve a greater purpose. It says that Abraham established this place to invoke the name of the Lord. That means to worship God or to declare his name. As we said already, a grove in scripture, and particularly here, it's synonymous with worship and sacrifice. It evokes the uh, image of worship of the one true God. And as I've mentioned this before, and I think I'll just continue to mention it this morning, Abraham was not planting this for himself. It was not a memorial to himself. It was not about his reputation or his personality. It had deeper significance, a deeper meaning. He wasn't even doing something just to feel satisfied within himself. He wasn't doing something just to feel that he had accomplished something, but he was planting something that he knew would affect future generations. Planting a tree is not for immediate fulfillment. It's not for temporary enjoyment, but it's something that's forward-looking, something that's proactive, knowing that I'm going to plant this today, and I may never see it. I may never own it. I may never have the opportunity to eat of its fruit, but I'm going to plant something knowing that if it grows and it's healthy, others will enjoy it later. As we were mentioning to the graduates last night how that Abraham journeyed. And as he journeyed, he walked all sorts of places, and he never possessed it himself, but it was as if he was consecrating that ground for future generations that were to come. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. It says a good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. This is a not an inheritance of stored wealth. This is not properties that can be conveyed or stocks that can be transferred. This is not... Uh, treasures. When Adam planted this grove, he was not acting economically, not acting politically. He was not acting selfishly. It says a good man plants a legacy that endures for generations. And it's beyond markets. It's beyond economies. It's beyond things that the government can touch because it says a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. It can't be physical possessions because those can be wasted. Those can be destroyed. The intervening generations can come in between and, and, and spoil the wealth of the father. But a good man that leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren, he's planting a legacy that endures for generation. With Abraham, after God appears to him in Genesis 12, God becomes the God of Abraham. 
The Bible says in verse 8 and verse 7 that he builds an altar and calls upon the name of the Lord because God had revealed himself and made himself known to Abraham. But a good man leaves an inheritance not just for himself to enjoy in that day, not even just for his son, but for his grandchildren. And so in Genesis 26 verse 24, it says, The Lord appeared to him at the same night, speaking of Isaac, and said, I am the God of thy father Abraham. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee. And multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. Abraham brought up Isaac to a place where he stepped into the same vision. Whereas God appeared unto Abraham and made himself known to him. And changed his name and and gave him a, a position. Here God appears unto Isaac. And Isaac has the same experience that Abraham had. But it wasn't just reserved for Isaac. It comes to Jacob in Genesis 28, verse 13. It says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it into thy seed. Jacob testifies later, The Almighty God appeared unto me. Abraham established a pattern that his son and his grandson were able to follow in. Not, a, not something that was just a kingdom. Abraham never had armies uh, of great power. He never ha- was a king. He never possessed lands. But his legacy that he left for his children was meeting the one true God. And so God comes in the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God testifies and gives witness of Abraham's legacy. Gives witness of his seed's inheritance. And I believe even today as I was watching through the different specials last night at the graduation, I see the same witness in this assembly. That it's not just first generations that enjoyed the grove of Cloverdale, but it has not only just been success, the next generation, but grandchildren and great-grandchildren are raising up in the same experience that those who founded this church who were part of the very beginning had. This is the testimony of Cloverdale Bible Way. Grandchildren, great-grandchildren have been not just sheltered by this grove, but come to meet the same God of the grove. The Bible says that Abraham planted this tree in a place that he named Beersheba. Abraham named it that. And it identifies just really how remarkable the grove was. Beersheba is in the Negev Desert. It's a dry region, very extreme temperatures. Genesis chapter 21, verse 25, it says, Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. Why, why would there be a fight over this well? Because water was a precious resource. That for him to have found water and located this resource in this desert, it would be of nourishment to flocks and to individuals. It would be a source to use for irrigation, to plant, to grove. And so this was a precious resource in the desert. And Abraham having uh, uh, found this, founded this well, there's a fight over it. There's a struggle. It says in verse 30, and he said, uh, for these seven ewe lambs shall take of my hand that they may be a witness unto thee that I have digged this well. Abraham, in this struggle, in this fight over this well, he's saying, let this be a testimony, a witness. I dug this well. This is my act. This is my water. Wherefore, he called the place Beersheba, because there they swear, both of them. It's the oath, the well of seven, the well of seven oaths. It's the root of seven, and to swear, and even have the same letters. He said, this is Beersheba, the wealth of seven the wealth of a sevenfold oath. It's called the well of the lion. Because here in Beersheba, it marked the southernmost border of the promised land, belonging to the tribe of Judah. 
And Abraham planting this grove, digging this well and planting this grove in this part of the region held great meaning because Christ was going to be a hiding place. He was going to be a river in a dry place. He was going to be shade and a temptus. A lot of this is just foundational, just to make some very few points today. As Abraham planted this in the desert, he meant it to be a hospitable place, a place of refreshing. It would be a place of nourishment, kind of a garden of worship where you'd get out of the hot sun, get away from the dryness, get away from the heat. And there in that grove, it'd be a source of water, a source of bread, a source of nourishment. It would serve as an oasis for travelers who are weary, for those who are on a journey seeking a destination. This place would be an inviting place. An oasis is a situation or place reserved, preserved from surrounding unpleasantness. From the, it's a refuge from the harsh conditions of things surrounding it. And you'll find that in the scripture where Abraham planted this grove in Genesis 21, It must have been an oasis for years to come because it was a place that Abraham returned to after offering Isaac in Genesis 22. It's a place where Isaac built an altar in Genesis 26. It's a place where Jacob came and offered sacrifices in Genesis 46. It's the very place in 1 Kings 19 that Elijah fled to and sat under a juniper tree. In every single instance you see where this place comes up, it's a place where they worshiped. It's a place where they rested. It's a place where they were fed. It was a place where God spoke to them. This is the grove that Abraham planted. And it says that Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and there, in this desert oasis, there called he on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. This grove held a beautiful mystery. This grove was not a cult of personality. It was not a kingdom. This wasn't an act of defiance. It wasn't that he was building walls and uh, and building up bulwarks and building a castle in the face of the Philistines and uh, bordering something and digging trenches and putting up a moat and just trying to find a way to carve out some land that he could call his own. No, he was building an oasis in the midst of harsh conditions that would be inviting, that would be welcoming. It was a place to declare God. In the Septuagint, it says that Abraham plowed fields and planted And even the word eshel, it signifies a a field under tillage. So Abraham is looking at a wasteland. He's looking at a desert and he digs a well and he finds a source of water. And now he says, with this water, I want to plant a tree. And he would have taken some cutting from somewhere. And he would have preserved that to plant it in this place. And here I'm going to plant this tree and this garden and this wasteland. And I'm going to water it and I'm going to feed it. And I'm going to produce a beautiful place that can be inviting. And says, this eschel, this grove is going to be ground, hard ground, difficult ground, unpleasant ground. But it's going to be under tillage. And just as the Bible says in Genesis 2 that there was not a man to till the ground, God raised up an Adam to place him in the Garden of Eden, as he said, to dress Eden and to keep it, to till it. Now Abraham, not in a Garden of Eden, but in a wasteland, in a place where there was not an Eden, there was not a garden. He's going to use the resources that are available, even in his own foresight, to have a cutting of a tamarisk to plant in the desert. He's going to take this water and plant something in this wasteland, acting in the image of Adam, the very image that God had raised up man to be. This is a field under tillage. 
Why are you plowing up the hard ground? Why are you, uh, why are you working against that? Why are you fighting? Why are you making sure there's water? He says, because the, I, I must do this because I'm showing something. I'm signifying something. He was a servant with a ministry for the benefit of others. And the Ashel, this is, this is uh, the, the real core at the heart of what was in my, my burden for you today. The word, the Hebrew word, a shell, but, and I, I studied this at great length, trying to understand what Abraham had planted when he planted a grove. And all interpretations agree. This is in the, the Sota and all the rabbinical writings and all the, the teachers in Jewish history, they all agree that the interpretation or the intent, the intent of the shell was hospitality. In many places, it's interpreted as an orchard. The orchard would signify fruit-bearing trees where it'd be a source of food. And even in the Hebrew, the Ashel is an acronym for feeding, drinking, and all those things that would accompany hosting. All the proper elements to host somebody. So that when they would arrive, they would be fed. They'd be nourished. They would, they would get water. They would get substance. And they'd be able to depart safe. And so that's the purpose of the grove. The grove was a place of hospitality. It wasn't Abraham building a fortress. It wasn't Abraham building a, a, a backyard oasis for himself and so that he could walk into and he could sit there and he could drink his Earl Grey cream or he could have his coffee and he could just, is this nice, Sarah? Isn't this going to be a beautiful place for our kids to run around? Abraham's vision was beyond even his own borders. It wasn't just a place on the backside of his tent for himself, but this was a garden in the middle of a desert. And the Hebrew teachings say that Abraham's invoking of El Olam, which is the everlasting God, comes by the means of the Ashel. Catch this, how significant this is. It doesn't mean that Abraham created a place that he would walk into in his backyard and he would say, oh, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, and he would declare the Lord with his voice. But they say that Abraham, by the garden, invoked the name of the Lord. It wasn't what he verbalized, but by what it did and by its ministry and by its service, the garden itself caused the name of God to be invoked. In other words, by the means of the hospitality of that grove, by the means of the service, by the means of the ministry, to all he would encounter, the name of God would be invoked. In the Sota, it says, Our father Abraham caused the name of the blessed Holy One to be uttered by the mouth of every, pa every passerby. They say, how was this? After travelers had eaten and drunk, they stood up to bless Abraham, but he said to them, did you eat of mine? You ate of that which belongs to the God of the universe. Instead, you should thank, praise, and bless the one who spoke, and the world came into being. Amen. This is what Abraham intended the grove to be. He intended it to be a place that could, others could come and he could serve them. And in serving them, they, it would be customary to thank the host and to thank them. Oh my, that was wonderful what you gave and how you ministered and how you provided these things. And say, oh no, that wasn't me. That wasn't mine. I didn't get that of my own. That this, isn't, this isn't by my hands. It was by the one who spoke and created the world. 
It's by the one true God. And, and the altars that he built in the past, there he would call upon the name of the Lord in the presence of those who had witnessed it. But now as he's going to sojourn many days in this one place, he creates an oasis that he would invite the weary traveler to come into. And they would have their eyes on some destination. They would be going someplace with the vision, with the purpose. And he would say, this is my opportunity to draw them away for a little bit of time and tell them about the one true God so that they, when they depart from here, they too will be a witness that it was one God who created the heavens and the earth. The one true God, the El Olam. And so it's by the means of the grove by the means of its ministry and its hospitality he would cause the one true God to be made known and there upon the lips of all those that benefited from the grove of all those who are ministered to by the grove they too would declare El Olam the everlasting God Abraham didn't serve the grove but the grove was a means of service and we could even say that the grove was not his faith made perfect because we see that wherein he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice, but it served to bring him to it. The term invoke the Lord by name denotes a public proclamation of the proper understanding of God. Abraham would have been the only one that had it. And as we think about this image, I know maybe this just comes very quickly, uh, I, I believe that you have very good ministry here, very good teaching, and not only locally, but there, you have tremendous ministries that come in that can preach the deep things. And so maybe I'm coming very quickly to a very simple point. But this Cloverdale Grove is nourished and fed thousands upon thousands here and around the world because of the same vision. It's by the hospitality of this grove that the name of God has been invoked. And I believe the secret of the success of this church has been a vision beyond itself. That there hasn't been fortifications for the purpose of insulating a cultish mindset. It hasn't been for the purpose of protecting ourselves from outward influences, but that we could come and be nourished uh, by things that come from the hand of God, nourished with the proper understanding of God as travelers, as it were, as we're pilgrims and strangers, we're coming and we're nourished by this grove and then we leave invoking the name of El Olam. We leave invoking the name of the true God. We leave as weary travelers uh, to be able to declare that there is a truth, there is a light. And it's been a, 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 the secret of the success of this grove, if I could just say it from my own heart and my personal knowledge of Brother Biscoe's vision in missions and his vision for souls and his vision beyond himself, that it goes way beyond just this grove. But it's connected with the vision of God. As there has been a year of jubilee and a celebration of the 50th year, and I have, I have noticed that it, depending on who you talk to, it's 51, 52, 53, and, but you got to start somewhere. And so it, it's the, the 50th was celebrated last year. And what a significant accomplishment and anniversary. And with a celebration maybe in the Jubilee for the next year, celebrating the 50 years. It was in 1973, I believe, that the Bible Believers radio broadcast began. That's, that, was, that was sending out food. Sending out the Word of God. All the sacrifice and all the labor and all the effort. It wasn't so that offerings could be sent into Cloverdale. It wasn't so that tithing could be gathered from all the parts of the earth. But this is an unselfish act. 
I, I'm not ashamed to say that Brother Biscoe is a founder, that, that he acted a, a, as a father with a vision beyond himself, even beyond his three daughters. It wasn't just, well, I need something for my daughters. I need something for my family. It wasn't to give him something to do for weekends or just give him an audience for something he could share. But this was something deep inside of a visionary man. This was a man who planted a grove. And look how that it has flourished. Look what it has ministered to. Look what it has accomplished. The grove was not to be served. The grove was service. And the hospitality of this grove, you as trees of this grove, have served thousands around this world. Causing the name of the one true God to be invoked. Causing the word of the Lord to be lifted up. We do not lift up the grove. We declare Christ. Maybe in these times of transition and change, and I know that you have already done this. So I, I know I'm not coming here preaching anything new, and I certainly don't come as one. Uh, I feel that coming, having preached here 33 times, I don't know if this makes 34. Uh, maybe I'm starting a new new season. This is the resurrection. Uh, but you know, you know, you don't come because you're a special speaker. You know, you, you preach that many times, you're, you're not a special speaker anymore. You're like, oh, brother Aaron's preaching. It's been a while. Hey, just, it's just the same old, same old. And like I think I said before last time I preached, I've already preached everything I know to you. So we're just doing review now. But we're not. Maybe I can just do this from my heart, knowing that you, I, I love you genuinely. And I think if we have a connection, it's because you know that. That my love for you is very, very real. And I found that through the years that no matter what you've gone through, what you've endured, love one. Because when you love somebody, you want the best for them. When you love somebody, you want to see redemption. You want to see restoration. And so I love you very uh, genuinely. I feel part of the family here. And I feel I could say these things. That with everything that is changed and through all the transition, remember the purpose of why this was planted. And rejoice in your health and vitality. And, and, and the opportunities you continue to have to serve. Not the grove, but as a grove. Continued to serve. Because this church serves the true church. I know this doesn't come as news to you. This is not the true church. No local church is the true church. But a true local church serves the true church. I was asked to speak at a minister's meeting one time. And they had the subject of the five definite identifications of the true church of the living God. And just drawing straight from the very, that sermon that Brother Brandon preached. And I was asked, they had, the format they used was younger minister and older minister. And um, the minister's meeting I'd been to before that was my first one ever in this setting. Uh, a few months before, they had a younger minister preach and then the older minister preach. And the older minister got up and said, who do you want to hear from? Some young guy ain't done nothing or a guy 80 years old who's got something to say. And I was like, Wow. This is interesting. And then I was asked to preach. I was like, is that other guy going to be speaking after me? <laughs> but I was called the young guy. Uh, and uh, I don't put the gray in my beard to be considered young. It takes a lot of work, a lot of money to get it to look like this. But hope, I was asked to speak first. You're going to go first. And then an older, elder brother is going to go second. And I thought, wonderful. I can just give what those five definite identifications are. I can just lay the foundation, and then we could really hear from somebody who's been through something and done something. Well, they, they flipped the order around, and they let the older brother go first. 
And my whole thought was going to be the, the, that in the five definite identifications of the true church of the living God, the local church is not the true church. And that any local church can definitively say they are not the true church, but they serve the true church. And just as ministers' meetings, I guess, are supposed to go, this elder brother got up and said, if your church doesn't have these five definite identifications, then you are not a true church. And his whole thought was the exact opposite of mine. So I thought, well, this is going to get interesting. <laughs> and I won't re-preach to you what I preached that morning in the, the 45 minutes they gave the younger speaker. But one thing you need to realize, that when we come here and we gather together, you're being ministered too. But in terms of our vision as a local church, we serve the true church. That our service and our labor is beyond, beyond the administration of those that are part of this. It's beyond the ministry who make up the ministry here. You recognize that your vision is to the true church. And that as we serve, we never serve in a manner that would harm or impair the true vine. You never say or preach or do anything that would impair God's purpose. In everything you say, in everything you do, you act to feed and to nourish the true church. Because in the local church, there can be divisions. In the local church, there can be changes of pastors. In the local church, there, there can be splits. But in the true church, there is only one shepherd that never changes. That there, there, in the local church, you can move. As we uh, had Brother Andrew and his wife are going to be leaving. And, and maybe under the anointing of Brother West and Sister Diane, which I hope that's some kind of yo-yo deal that just keeps working. We'll be happy to use it whenever we can. But we, members can leave a local church, but you can never leave the true church. You're born into that permanently. Can't be kicked out, can't be ostracized. That's the growth, that's the vine, that's the true tree that the local church serves. And the success of this grove has been that it recognized the true vine, that it recognized the tree of life, and it serves something beyond itself. One thing you have to learn very painfully in service in a grove is the grove does not own the ones that it serves. Even in the very image as it was with Abraham, he knew that the ones that would come would not necessarily remain. But the Jews, even in their writings and the rabbis, it, we find that Abraham builds, has a lot of servants and enough to chase after armies. And it is said that these were proselytes of his faith. That as he ministered to them, as he worshipped, as he served them in the grove, they would come to say, I want to worship the one true God with you. And so they weren't slaves and that he had bought them or conquered them, but these were converts out of Babylon to serve the one true God. And they were with him and his family to where Abraham is able to say, let one born of my own house be an heir. Let him live before you. Because these were ones that had come to know the one true God through Abraham's service. But through all the ones who stayed with him, many more continued on. This grove that Abraham planted was an inviting oasis. I think I alluded to earlier, it wasn't a castle with a moat. It wasn't a secret cave for personal solitude. It was not a compound or a fortress to protect an ideology or to build a personal kingdom. Actually, that's reserved for Cain's seed. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, it says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. 
This is vastly different from what Abraham did after Isaac was born in Genesis 21. What a contrast that after he has a son, he builds a city. After having a son and, and he's going to have seed, and he thinks, how can I protect this seed? How, how can I ensure his survival? And how can I guard myself against those that would want to attack and maybe cause harm? So he builds a, a fortified place with walls, and there his family is going to grow. This is in stark contrast to the inviting grove that Abraham plants after Isaac is born in Genesis 21. City means it's a place guarded uh, by waking or watch. It's the very etymology of the word city. I'm going to guard. I'm going to watch. And it was because of terror and because of fear that Cain built this city. He built it to protect himself from himself, from his testimony. And he had to build something to protect his family. He had to erect walls. He had to, he had to establish something that was protective. It, that's in the exact opposite of what Abraham does to her. I have something here to share. I have something to give. Not just, I, I don't want to just protect this great truth. I want to give this great truth out. That there's life in this. There's freedom in this. That this in giving it out is going to be my protection. In standing for it, that's going to be, that, that's going to be my provision. But Cain acts in the opposite by building a city. We know that in Genesis chapter 6, that in the days of Noah, all flesh is corrupted upon the earth. And God just remarking how the, uh, how the thoughts of man are only evil continually. And so it is then in the days of Noah that a flood comes upon all the earth. In Genesis chapter 10, after the flood, Nimrod builds Babylon. What does it become? Satan's seat. Becomes his Eden. And he builds a Babylon. This is where Abraham is raised up, is in Babylon. In Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. And this is the image that he sees. This great kingdom being built up. A mystery Babylon. A wonder. What, was it? what is it that Cain builds? What is it that Nimrod was building? A mirage. Something he's trying to pattern after heaven. Something he's trying to pattern after the Garden of Eden. Even, even later with the hanging gardens. Trying to build an image. Nebuchadnezzar trying to build an image that would look like the Garden of Eden. But it's not a paradise. It's not an Eden. It's a mirage. It may be a wonder. Oh my, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that large? Isn't that great? But it's just a mirage. And Brother Adam says in the church age book, monotheism turned to polytheism in ba Babylon. The devil's lie... And the devil's mysteries rose up against the truth of God and the mysteries of God in that city. The very seeds of this and Nimrod building up Babylon. And it says that the lies of the devil and the devil's mysteries rose up against the truth of God in the mysteries of God in that city. So when God calls Abraham out of Babylon in Genesis 11 and 12, it's to preserve and keep the mystery of God. It's to bring a contrast to the mirage of Babylon, the mirage of organized religion, the mirage of men's kingdoms, and to preserve the sanctity of God's uh, wisdom and God's mystery. It's a shadow and a type of the bride of Christ who's called out of Babylon. God chooses Abraham out of Ur, out of Babylon, out of the devil's lie, into God's mystery. And it says in Luke 17, verses 26 to 32. I, I apologize for not looking up. I don't know who won, the crocodile or the buffalo. 
but I, I trust you're still holding on. I mean, I feel good. If you think I'm nervous, I'm not. You think I'm doing a poor job, I may be. In Luke 17, verses 26 to 32, it says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. If there was a subject that your founding pastor, Brother Biscoe, loved, it was the Son of Man. It says in verse 28, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. It says, Even thus, in verse 30, Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The days of Lot then point us, this is part of the mystery, not so much to Lot, but to Abraham. The days of Lot point us to the day of Abraham's visitation. And I believe that when we look at Abraham's life, we look at his ministry, in the days of Abraham, there was a place that the Son of Man could come to. There was a place where he could make his promise known. There was a place where he could identify the judgments coming to Sodom, but the promise coming to the elect. And it says, as it was in the day of Lot, so shall it be, and even thus shall it be in the days when the Son of Man is revealed. There'll be groves for the elect to gather around the word. The grove, if I could use it this way as we're hoping to near maybe our closing thoughts, the grove was a place that Abraham testified of the Son of Man who visited him. It was a place that he could testify that God himself visited me and made a promise. And here's the fulfillment of it. My wife and I came out of Babylon. Abraham, the one from beyond, the, the wanderer, he comes and he travels uh, uh, to the strange land and he's considered a stranger. They knew that he was different. And he begins to worship a God that they know not of. And he begins to call upon a one true God, vastly different from all the other gods. As Abraham would have traveled down into into uh, Canaan, he would have seen all sorts of altars erected to false gods, very high towers and cathedrals of worship and courtyards of worship to false gods. So Abraham comes and he builds an altar and it's an altar to the one true God. You think you're the only church? That would have been the only altar. The only altar to the one true God. And he would build that and he would call upon the name of the Lord who made him a promise. But now when he builds this grove and there he's going to worship God, he could say, God made a promise to me. God visited me and made a promise. And he could say, this day, this scripture is fulfilled. I'm not just repeating what all the other prophets had to say. I'm not just saying it's going to be. But there in the grove, he could say, there's a God who makes a promise and there's a God who keeps his promise. And he would declare a living God, a real God who visited him, who not only made the promise but fulfilled it. And in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, we find this in the days of Lot. And said, the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and he bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. And notice, this is, this is the visionary of Abraham. This is part of the elements that he uses later in the grove. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. 
we just, this is such a unique description to be able to see these elements of Abraham. You can almost imagine this is just his normal day. He's there in the heat of the day, sitting at the tent door. And then in this moment, everything's going to change. Things are going to happen to him that's going to uh, set him further, deeper into the promises of God. The, the vision is going to become more, more narrow. Even as we look at these three men, they come and they're all there and he, and he identifies them. And, and, but then there's only, one who asked, there's only one who has a message for Sarah. They all may want to know where she's at, but only one had a message for her. This is going to bring the promise even more direct, even more elective. And he says, let me grab some water and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that, ye shall pass on. Here's Abraham, the very acts that he's doing now. And he wants them to, I want to feed you under this tree. I want to feed you in the shade. And then I want to minister to you. I want to give you things that you need for your journey. I want you to be rested. And I want you to, be mo- to move on even after. He takes no ownership of him. But he's going to serve as he has the opportunity. For therefore ye come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened in the tent of Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto the, a young man. And he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. I want you to, to connect Genesis 21 to Genesis 18. Because Abraham in a wasteland with no trees with no oasis, says, I want to create something. I want to make something. I want to plant a tree. I want to plant a garden. And Brother Branham in Modern Events made clear by prophecy, says, one day under the shade tree, while they were sitting, resting, God came down in the form of a man. And this day, this scripture is fulfilled. He says, and he was sitting out under an oak tree one day when everything was going wrong for him. Nobody had anything to do with him, but he was still holding on that promise. But one stayed with Abraham. Notice the one that stayed with Abraham was God himself. This is what that shade tree would stand to mean for Abraham. In a time of difficulty, a time of opposition, a time of separation from his family lot, and maybe his his ponderings and his wonderings about the promise and how are things going to be and uh, would it be this and will it be that and what is the future going to hold and all the things that he would be struggling with and all the things he'd be laboring with. He says he was sitting under that tree. A lot of places say the grove that Abraham planted was an oak tree. Sitting under the oak tree one day when one appeared to him. And this is what is represented in Genesis chapter 21. Whereas he had that visitation that one day and he hastened to serve and he grabbed the, the milk and the butter and the calf and he had Sarah making the cakes and he was very quick to, to worship and to serve and to give these things and all these elements. When he comes to a place where he says, I'm going to settle down here. I'm going to be here many days. He knew in his heart, I want to create a place. I want to plant a tree. I want to plant a tree that's in the image of that oak. I want to plant a tamarisk, a shade tree that's in the image of that oak where the Son of Man came. And I want to create a place that's in the image of where God met me. And I believe that Abraham envisioned a place where God would come down and commune with him. Oh, could it be that if I plant a grove in Beersheba, if I plant a shade tree, could he agree? Could he come and visit me on some interval? Could I find myself in his presence under that tree again hallelujah Abraham was acting with vision 
Abraham thought if I plant a grove, if I plant an oasis, it may not happen in my time, but let it be that my seed after me will find themselves in the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. It wells up inside of me to say a grove was planted in Cloverdale. Abraham had this rhythm in his life of difficulty, trial. But then God visited him and God visited him, building altars, building altars. And in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 20, I, I was told I could preach as long as I want. And, uh, and I even asked, how long did Brother Dioka preach? <laughs> I didn't get an answer. And I realized I, I, I don't even know when I started. That's, that's true wisdom. Don't look at the clock. In Genesis 14, verses 17, 18, 19, and 20, this is after the battle going after his nephew. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shiva, which is the Kingsdale. And the king of Sodom comes out to meet him and he wants to say, he wants to give him spoils. And Abraham's wisdom says, no, I won't take anything from you. But then notice in this, in this dale, the Kingsdale, in this valley, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. This is an experience that Abraham has after battle, after difficulty. It's not Abraham that serves, but it's now Melchizedek. That comes to him in his weariness. That comes to him after the battle and after the king, the king of Sodom. He's going to offer his spoils. But Abraham does not take from the hands of the king of Sodom. He takes from the hands of the king of Salem. He takes from the king Melchizedek. That they may have caused this the king's dale. And they might have thought of these other kings. But the king himself, the king of Salem, came down into that valley and ministered to him with bread and wine. And this service ministers to Abraham. And he has this vision in his mind that I, as I have been ministered to, I want to minister also. As the son of man came not to be ministered to, but to minister, I too want to give. I too want to minister. And I say in this dale, Cloverdale, that dale, it speaks of a, a valley, that there's a, in the king's dale, they might call it Cloverdale because there was clovers in this valley, in this place that has these geographical characteristics, but a man planted a grove in Cloverdale and it became the king's dale. King Melchizedek has come to visit this place. And Brother Branham in the sermon identification says he's, he, he was speaking, he refers to what he spoke on the night before, and I had maybe some, a number of statements here to read. And uh, I'll tell you what a rookie I am now. I, I forgot my notes. I flew up here without my notes. I was like, I guess we're just going to be eating all weekend. And so I, thankfully there was printers still. But I, and so I, in this set of notes that I actually printed, <laughs> some of you are probably thinking that explains it. And shame on you. 
But the sermon identification, he says, I spoke here last night, a message of having him as an oasis. Remember, he's the tree. It's a tree that has this vast root system that connects all the way from Cloverdale, all the way down to Phoenix, all the way over to Florida. It's one root system crossing oceans into India, into the Philippines, into Africa. All of us part of one genetically identifiable organism. And we have him as an oasis. And he says, a place remembering him, what all he had done. And then he says, when we come together, setting around in heavenly places. Abraham's desire when he planted a grove in Beersheba was to open up a channel of visitation. As he had been ministered to by Melchizedek, and he served him bread and wine. As he was there that day before the tent door, and the Lord himself appears to him, God veiled in flesh. If you notice, those are two different instances. Genesis 14 is Melchizedek. Genesis 18 is God, Elohim, in that body visiting Abraham. He has this vision of opening up a place where God could come to visit him. And I express this to you today in just the simplicity of it. Don't lose sight of that vision of this grove. That it is a place where we could come and worship It's a place where we come and we serve one another, but of all, unless he comes. That we have a message of having him as an oasis. We have a coming together to set around in heavenly places. I believe that if the local church does its job right, then it becomes a representation. It provides heavenly places. It provides an oasis to where we are are raised up. We are seated in a place where we can experience heavenly things. And it becomes a slice of heaven upon earth. The Bible says that there, he planted a grove there in Beersheba to declare the everlasting God. This is the first occurrence in the Bible, this phrase. Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord. And it says, the everlasting God. First time you'll read of it in the scripture. And I believe it points to the purpose of the grove. Why would they be declaring this? Why would would he reveal this in this time? And I believe it's because Abraham had a vision of a future home. He knew there'd be people that would travel through and continue on. And so what he wanted to do is to remind them there's an eternal God. There's life beyond this life. He had a vision of a permanent fixed home. And it gave him an image for his earthly dwelling. As we mentioned before, when God calls Abraham in Genesis 12, it related to the promise and the seed of Genesis 3.15. And Brother Branham says in Genesis, excuse me, church age book, he says, in the Garden of Eden, when he promised the seed to the woman, and then later designated that seed had to come through Abraham. He's, He's depicting so much more. We say, well, he's a testimony of election and God choosing him. That's a mouthful. But it's so much more than just election. Every part of his life, God's portraying something and expressing something. And so it'd be through Abraham that the seed from the Garden of Eden was designated. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, the promise was given to Adam and the woman. They never fulfilled the commandment. 
Brother Bram even says in Genesis 1.28, that was just left there, hanging unfulfilled, till it caught in the womb of a virgin. And you'd think maybe that the, the Old Testament would be a story about Adam. Maybe it'd be a story about the woman. Maybe it'd be a story of uh, how they dealt with their struggles and their trials and, and how that they overcame and how that God ultimately, after a period of time of them suffering, came to them and visited them and showed the promise and restored them. But no, that's not where redemption began. They were given a promise and then driven out of the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 12, a promise is given. And Abraham's not driven out of the Garden of Eden. He's driven by it. He's driven to it. He's under its influence. Uh, he, he, he's, he's not looking for a city that Cain would build. He's not looking for a city that Nimrod would have built. When the Bible says he was looking for a city, that he has a vision in his mind whose builder and maker is God. Uh, and he would have had this image of when God built a city, he made a garden. When God built something for communion and fellowship, he made a paradise. A a Abraham was not looking for a, a city with, with walls and high tall buildings and looking for a fancy cathedral or beautiful altars. He was looking for something eternal and fixed that God had made. In Hebrews 11, 8 to 10, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations. Whose builder and maker is God. He said which he would afterwards receive as an inheritance. That's property received. That's a possession that's given. That's, that's family land. That's something that he could lay claim to. That speaks of, I, I don't want to just be traveling through and always having to be fighting for wells. I don't want to be as a stranger as it says. He was a, one from beyond. He came from Ur. He came down as a stranger in this country. You, you don't belong here, but in his heart he knew this belonged to him. And here he is wanting, he wanted so bad to put the roots down, to put his foundations down as it were, to call this home. It's what Abraham looked for. It was beyond, it was beyond what the day presented to him, but he was looking for the future home. Adam began in God's Eden, perfect, lush, beautiful. Abraham begins in Satan's Eden. Adam began fruitful, Abraham barren. But the city of Abraham, the, Abra the city that Abraham sought was a hidden place that Adam was driven from. He was driven away from. Guarded so that he couldn't get to it. And Abraham finds himself between two Edens. The one that Adam is driven out of, but the one that God's going to restore. Finds himself in Satan's Eden. Satan's Eden is the Eden between the two Edens. One that Adam was driven out of, but the one that he knew was coming. One that he longed to see. He was looking for a paradise restored. He was looking for one that he knew would be greater than the one that God sowed the seeds of in the beginning. And in Revelation 21, verses 2 and 3, it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. 
This is the city that Abraham sought. This is the city that Abraham longed for. What a wonderful revelation that Abraham has. In the very beginning, he's got a revelation of the eternal kingdom. He's got a revelation where he seeks it on earth. And if I could just say this, if this is one of the curses of Catholicism, is they've tried to come and bring the gap between where our choice is between hell and heaven. And, 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 and in, that, in that divide, I just say that for, for weeks from the moment that I was asked to come, I, I had sought release from God to preach on this subject to you. And Lord, I'm not taking my liberty. I'm just sharing it a little bit. That, there's, that, that, that hell is a place that's reserved for judgment and for punishment. And then we know that there is a heavenly and there's a place of God and we know there's dimensions. But Catholicism has come and it's so entrenched in our thinking and our mindset that it's just a, that this time on earth is a decision whether we want to spend eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. And that somehow in that we say, well, I better make the right decisions while I'm here. Because if I don't, I'll end up in hell forever. But if I do, I'll end up in heaven forever. And, and that's so far from what God's purpose was in the beginning. Abraham didn't live afraid of hell. And he didn't live looking for some galaxy way beyond the one he was living in. He was looking for a kingdom on earth. Why? Because that was deep in the heart of God to one day take this earth and redeem it. And bring heaven back to earth forever. And we're not living to go when we go from here. It's just for a season. Going to go for a season so there can be some housekeeping. And then we're going to come out and live a thousand years. It's called a honeymoon. And then on our way back from that honeymoon, God is going to rid the earth of everything. Going to purge it. And there will be a new heavens and new earth. But that new earth will be this earth completely born again. That new heaven will be earth's glory coming back down to earth again. This is the city Abraham looked after. In Revelations 2, it says, the tree of life is in the midst of the paradise of God. Abraham planted a grove, and his vision his, was Christ, the seed. Even if he's not acting completely aware, we mentioned last night to the young people, fully persuaded doesn't always mean you perfectly understand but he plants a tree in this grove pointing to the paradise of God. By faith, he lived in tents with his family, his kindred. He's there with his family as they expand their borders, as it were, of their tents. They were all kindred who were heirs of an eternal home, living in tents but that's why he plants a grove to invoke the everlasting God. He plants a tree, makes it an oasis as a placeholder for the eternal city. If you look at the life of Abraham, what he marked out, what he lived, you find almost every seed of prophecy is contained within the land that he marks out. And right there, even think about how he chose that place in Hebron to be buried. And now all the sons of, of, of Abraham are saying, bury me there. Why? Abraham knew he's living beyond himself. There's going to be a resurrection. That's why uh, Joseph, uh, Jacob is, you know, don't, don't leave my bones. The bo don't leave my bones in Egypt. 
those, the, the, the bones of that prophet, they carried them out with them. Why? Because the very bones of that prophet testified, there will be a resurrection. And to them, they were all gathering themselves to that place. Abraham consecrating these places, building altars, worshiping God and Abraham in the very place where that new Jerusalem is going to be settling down upon. He places a tree as a placeholder of the eternal home that's to come. I say maybe perhaps inspired by his future home. He built a grove to serve the purpose of the everlasting one. And I say to you today, just as Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba, a man planted a grove in Cloverdale. And God has provided you a place, and I say us a place, to serve the highest of heaven and his bride. In Beersheba, he planted a grove to declare the everlasting God. So much is envisioned in that act. I know I've just covered a skosh of it. But I, I, I share just this portion here. I've only been preaching 16 minutes according to my clock because I didn't look down but 16 minutes ago. Can you stay with me just for a few more moments? <laughs> I want to inspire you to not stop planting. To not stop serving. In Isaiah 41 verse 19, he says, I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the sheeta tree, and the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree, and the pine, and the box tree together. Notice all the different trees. It's even signifying different people, as it were. And here God's going to do it. He's going to plant it in the wilderness. Isaiah 41 I'm going to plant it in the desert. And Abraham did it first. Abraham planted a tamarisk. Abraham planted maybe to some an oak. He plants a tree, this single tree signifying what would become a grove or a garden. And so when Abraham plants the grove, it's a type of the Messiah's ministry of redemption. He says, I will plant the cedar, the myrtle, the oil tree, the fir, the pine, the box tree together. Why? Because it's the planting, the act of planting, but then the one that is planted. And this act of planting, and I share this in the sense that a grove was planted in Cloverdale. You say, well, that's, you're, giving honor, or you're giving honor to a man, or you're acknowledging this. Well, even Paul himself, one, one plants and one waters. But we know it's God that gives the increase. Amen. We know that we call no man father upon earth, but Paul even expresses that he is a father. We recognize the role of one who's a founder, one who's visionary, one who does things. And it's important to take the momentum of what has been done to keep us looking forward to fulfill the vision. I believe a good man has planted a grove in Cloverdale and it's, the inheritance is being left for great-grandchildren. And as long as you keep Christ at the center of that vision, as long as you get to the real heart of what the purpose was in planting in the beginning, it'll continue to flourish. It'll continue to thrive. It'll continue to grow and accomplish maybe not what the world would think is success, but it will accomplish God's purpose. And Abraham's act of planting 
a grove that it's such a significant act. And Abraham, we could say that God planted a garden. Noah planted a vineyard. This act of Abraham is an act in the image of God himself who planted a garden. In the image of Noah who is the God of the earth. Now Abraham in the act of ownership of the land that God would give him says, I'm going to plant a grove. And this grove will testify of the tree of life that man never put took of in the garden of Eden. It's going to point to the seed that is going to come. It's going to be reflective of that tree of God and the paradise of God. He's planting something that is natural. You would eat natural fruit of it, enjoy natural shade. But what it would minister and how it would minister and what it would lift up, it would cause the everlasting God to be invoked. It would cause those, it may be a lot of natural things, but in the end, it would be God who gets the glory. And this act of planting so significant to a Jew they have this phrase when you first come into the land of Israel you are to engage in no other work than planting it's an act of ownership you don't if you do I'll just kind of caution you I mean I wouldn't plant a garden at the hotels you stay in because you're not going to be there to water it you're not going to be there to, to enjoy the fruit when it comes forth when you plant something, you plan on staying. You're going you're gonna to be there a while. And then you're going you're gonna to ensure its growth and its survival for successive generations. And so to the Israelites, they say, when you come into the land of Israel, even when they were coming back from the diaspora, they had the saying uh, of all those who are dispersed, when you are coming to Israel, you are to engage in no other work than planting. And they even testify that when Israel, all the Israelites had been uh, scattered out throughout the world, and as they began to come back, uh, and uh, back to the promised land in the 1900s, as they were coming back, they did this. They planted. And now, the, the comparison to what it was before to what it is now, and the thousands upon thousands of trees and the different species and the acres of trees that have all sprouted up because as Jews, they had this vision that when you come into the land, plant. Plant trees. Plant trees. It wasn't build synagogues. It wasn't, it, it was plant trees. Uh, so that there's shade, so that there's fruit, so that there's a representation of life. These trees are not for us. It's for our seed and our seed after us. This isn't just for me so I can have a little shade while I'm here. But no, I want to do something that says this is an act of ownership. And I'm going to put roots down. And I'm going to possess this land. And I'm going to consecrate this good land. Not for myself, but for my children and my children's children. Engage in no other act no other work than planting. And they'll testify, and if you research this subject, there in the <clears throat> Beersheba, that area, there's still trees that exist, tamarisk trees, in the same area that Abraham planted his grove. He, caught a, he had a cutting of a tree, and he comes into a desert, a wasteland, and there he plants a tree. And now, hundreds of years later, they find trees that declare prior dwellings that show people were here planting. And a very interesting uh, note that I've come across several times that they say it would take about 400 years for a tamarisk tree to reach full maturity. That you plant it and it grows and as it grows and its roots go out and go down to the water stores that it takes about 400 years. And it's difficult. I read even some scientific literature and things trying to just pinpoint it. And uh, if it's not true, it kind of makes for a neat type here at the end. How's that? But they say it take about 400 years. You say, well, Abraham there, 
is with his seed, finally, of his own, Isaac is born. So now he plants the seed. He plants this tamarisk tree. And he said it takes about 400 years for that tree to grow to maturity. And as Abraham planted a garden, planted a grove, it'd be about 400 years later when these trees are finally coming to maturity that his seed would be coming out of Egypt and out of bondage to return back to the promised land. So talk about a vision. Talk about a vision. It wasn't, wow, Isaac will get to enjoy this. But it was a vision to say that one day, one day, when God fulfills his promised word and they come back, there'll be trees. There'll be shade. There'll be fruit. That's the vision of a father. That's the vision of one who looks beyond himself. Who says, I'm not worried about making a name for myself. I'm not worried about proving what I know. I I don't want to preach things. And you say, oh, well, that was really, really good. No, where did you get it? I got it from the message. I I say, I'm inspired by the vision that Brother Bisco had to not always have to go to India, to not always have to go to the Philippines, to not always have to go to Africa, but just give those men of God the same message he was feeding on. And he knew the rest would take care of itself. And listen, that's the greatest thing we can continue to do is cause the name of God to be invoked, to lift up the presence of Jesus Christ, to not stop planting, to do no other work but plant. I say this church will continue. This grove will continue. Just as they find tamarisk, In that same place that Abraham planted his grove, if it would take 400 years for every bride age member to manifest itself, this grove will continue in the work of God. It'll serve the body of Christ through the ministry of this grove. And I'll tell you how remarkable this planting is. They say when you first come into the land of Israel, you're to engage in no other work than planting. And you want to talk about farmers in the rapture. Just wondering if anybody remembers that. Give it a clever title and they'll always tell you what you preach by the title. What was it about? It's another question. Listen to this. If a seedling were in your hand, because remember, when you come to the promised land, I believe this message is our promised land. I, brother, says, opened up to us a whole new land. The Son of Man, the land of the Son of Man. We're in this. We're feeding. We're planting. He says, if a seedling were in your hand and you were told the Messiah is at hand. That phrase at hand means he's come. Come and plant the seedling and then go and greet him. Come and plant the seedling and then go to greet him. Don't stop planting. Don't stop planting in the grove. Don't stop laboring. And I say, may this church continue. May you as trees of righteousness continue to be a grove where God could come. As Abraham envisioned a place where the Son of Man would come and visit him. As he envisioned a place where the presence of God would come. As he envisioned a place where he could witness about Christ. Continue to serve God and may it continue to be a place where the God of Abraham can come and reveal himself to his seed. As it was in the days of Lot and Noah, it was a place. Those were places contrasted by places like this. May it not be a place that's characterized by eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building of the things of this world. But a place where God can make himself known. 
A place where the voice of God is stronger than the voice of politics. A place where the voice of God is louder than the voice of Hollywood. A place where the Son of Man is being revealed. We would invite the musicians to come. A place where we can feed on the unfailing body word of the Son of Man. I pray that God will continue to give you life-giving, prevailing revelation because you are his trees of righteousness. You are the planting of the Lord. As we just close, could you stand with me? A grove was planted in Cloverdale. To many it might seem that a tree is not much and Little garden that Abraham planted might not seem to be very much, but oh, how it represents such wonderful and beautiful things. And I know for all of you who consider this to be your home church, you don't think very lightly of this. I know that in the message we're taught to value uh, church, we show such a reverence to the church service, and we come in early and being quiet. And so I don't believe that you need to be apprised of just how special of a place that a local church is. If you have one, if you have a place you can serve God, and you ought to find one, right? We believe in that. We think it's so important. Amen. I think it's good for us to know and be reminded that it serves such a great, beautiful purpose beyond itself. Can we bow our heads in prayer? With our heads bowed, I want to thank you just for your patience this morning into this afternoon. I went back and watched some testimonies of the 40th anniversary service. It was after that the Lord had dealt with my heart on this subject, and I was I just wanted to learn a little bit more of the history of the church and timing of different things and just wanted to familiarize myself more with you I've never preached a sermon that was so directed in terms of a local work and a great legacy that has been lifted up which is the legacy of the son of man through the ministry that founded this church and I was struck by how many testimonies spoke of what it felt like to come to the Bible way house into the log church how refreshing it was, how inviting it was. I remember at Florent, you had expressed it in a particular way, just to how the presence of God and how reviving it was. You know, there's something about battles, fighting, that we get a little bit callous, and we can tend to get numb, and we do it sometimes for our own protection. I pray today, this afternoon, that the King of Peace, King Melchizedek, would come and minister to you, serve bread and wine. I pray for you that you'll enter into a season of refreshment, 
where God will continue. I've heard so many testimonies of revival and salvation that continue. But I, I prayed for just a, a refreshing to come from the presence of God in this season. I don't believe that you need to be restored back to your roots. The roots are there, but may you feel them. Feel them again. Know what you're connected to. And may Melchizedek come and serve bread and wine. May we ready ourselves for it that service after service, the unfailing body word of the Son of Man and the stimulation of revelation that he will continue to give prevailing, life-giving revelation to us. And say, oh God, today I want to feel the roots, my connectedness to the vine. May it furnish energy to the branches. pray for you today let's pray gracious heavenly Lord heavenly father thank you for such a kind audience Lord to bear with me Lord and kind of my meandering foundation and the different pieces and parts that I needed to share to feel that I had some footing but I wanted to today in just a very simple way add my support to this assembly and not in any way to glorify man to give my vote of approval to leadership Lord I'm not even defending I'm just acknowledging a vision and a burden that has glorified you Lord, I believe that you have been gracious to this assembly and that you've seen them through many difficulties just as you did Abraham. But just as Abraham returned back and Isaac came back, Jacob came back, and even many, many years later, Elijah finds himself under a juniper tree. Could it be that it was in the very grove that Abraham had planted? And there you came and you ministered to your servant. Lord, this planting of Cloverdale Bible Way, I believe has honored your message. It has, a, has had a burden of sending out the word of God. It's had a burden for souls. It's had a burden. And I pray that this could continue in the vision that is beyond itself, in this vision to make the message available, in this vision to lift up the Word of God. And Lord, as you came down into the Kingsdale for Abraham after a time of battle, I pray that you would continue to visit this assembly, to serve bread and wine in this Cloverdale. Lord, I pray for Brother Ed and Sister Ruth that they would feel a sense of accomplishment. And may they be reminded every day that as long as this grove flourishes, they have left an inheritance to their children's children. That though they may not be active in cultivating it, though they may not be active in serving it,
we acknowledge a man who planted a grove in Cloverdale and has done a great work and service to not only these but many around the world so Father I pray you encourage your elect today just to give them strength Lord for the battle and I know there's a lot of young people here who may never even heard the founding pastor preach there may be many who don't know the history and I say the past is not what's important because that's what Abraham was testifying of was not the past. If he was concerned with the past, he would have never planted. It wasn't the present itself that he was solely concerned about. He would have never planted, but it's where we're going. And Lord, I pray that we could be so consumed with the vision of our future home that we'll continue to plant and plant until the last seed comes in. Bless us today, we pray. I love this assembly very, very much. Thank you for giving me the liberty, Lord, to speak on a subject very elementary, chopped up, in a way that it could, Lord, with you on the other end, only and solely glorify you. I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And all my life you have been
All my life you have been
that this was a little mixed up message I thought it was a masterpiece I did brother Aaron you know the ending of a masterpiece is the final stroke there's going to be one final stroke to every masterpiece whether you're carving on a, a bust or whether you're painting a picture there's going to be one final stroke that makes this a masterpiece know what that is? This is Brother Biscoll's favorite song. I didn't know if you knew that or not, Aaron. It's our pastor's favorite song. And I thought that was a tremendous tribute, tremendous message. When a husbandman works in a, in a grove, He wants not just fruit. If you read in St. John 15, he wants more fruit. Then he keeps working with the tree to bring forth much more fruit. And if you've been found in this grove by God's grace, the husbandman will keep trimming the tree. What for? To bring forth more fruit. More fruit. And I believe I heard the word of the Lord this morning and that we could take that, not add to it, absorb it, and let the great husbandman himself come and water your tree to bring forth much fruit today. Let's bow our heads. Word of prayer. How did we find ourselves, Lord, in this grove, this great grove of God? Lord, you've led sons and daughters of God to be watered by the great water, stream of life, river of life. We've drank, we've pushed, we've drank, we've pushed. And Father God, we're so thankful that we had such a man of God with a vision. And Lord, we'll be faithful to the vision. We see it manifesting not just through one generation, but generation after generation. Lord, we just don't want to be fruit bearers. We want to be much fruit bearers to bring forth the very beauty of this lovely one, this Lord Jesus Christ. We heard your word this morning and we're thankful for it. Spiritual food in due season. So Father God, as we now will go our separate ways, 
Lord, we're rejoicing of not just hearing a message, but hearing what the Holy Spirit would say through the message. Pregnate every heart, and may, Lord, every life bring forth a hundredfold within their garden, within their tree, within their life. Bless Brother Aaron, Sister Elizabeth. We're thankful that they could find it in their calendar of life, Lord, to be here this weekend with us. Would you bless them, their church, their family, and may you use him mightily for whatever time is left for this great body of Christ. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. I just want to speak the name of Jesus before we go. I just want to speak the name of Jesus.
that name, that manifested name of Jesus Christ, this message is Christ. Speak it. Eat it. Love it. Talk about it. Manifest it. Speak that lovely name. This name of Jesus. Greet one another. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.